Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. It probably doesn't surprise you that the percentage of American women who work has just about doubled since 1950. Even by 1970, though, as the numbers of women heading to work were exploding, most of those women had low-paid jobs. Only about 10% had a college degree. Now, the number of women in the workforce with college degrees has just about quadrupled. You've got lots of female doctors and managers and lawyers and executives. And when women in these high-powered jobs start out, studies have shown that they are every bit as ambitious as their male colleagues. But, as Sheryl Sandberg famously said a few years back, there's still a problem. And the problem is this. Women are not making it to the top of any profession anywhere in the world. You can dispute that a little on the margins. Angela Merkel is the chancellor of Germany, for example. But when the CEO of Campbell Soup, Denise Morrison, resigned abruptly in mid-May, she added to a list of women leaders, including the CEOs of Avon and Hewlett-Packard, who have exited the scene in the last year. Now women run only 4.6 percent of Fortune 500 companies, down from 6 percent last year. So here's the question. If you've got lots of smart, ambitious women flooding out of school and into the workforce, but a tiny fraction rising up to the corporate suites, you've got to ask yourself, where did all those women go? As one manager told me, they just seem to disappear. That's Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, CEO of 21st, a consulting firm focusing on gender diversity. She has spoken with thousands of men and women all over the world about what their career paths look like. And she's realized we're in a unique time. The 20th century saw the rise of women into education, into work, massive flooding into labor forces all over the world. The 21st century will see the adaptation of men and organizations or their reaction to it. And that's the question that we're facing right now. We're we're witnessing both backlash and adaptation. Wittenberg Cox is the author of the article, If You Can't Find a Spouse Who Supports Your Career, Stay Single. It appeared in Harvard Business Review last year and quickly started to catch fire. In it, she writes provocatively that, quote, professionally ambitious women really only have two options when it comes to their personal partners, a super supportive partner or no partner at all. Anything in between ends up being a morale and career sapping morass. The corporate world is still not really adapted to dual careers. Bosses themselves, particularly the boomer generation, expect really ambitious people to often be single earners Hmm. with spouses who are willing to move anywhere and Mm -hmm. do anything Mm -hmm. uh, to follow them. And the reality for the vast majority of educated couples all over the world is they actually want to have two balanced careers. So the question then is, how willing are two humans to make that work for each other and make each other's dreams come true? And when push comes to shove and you've just been given a promotion in a strange country and you have to move across the world or suddenly, you know, you're no longer ever available for taking care of the family, what choices do you make and what's Mm -hmm. the negotiation like? Mm -hmm. And from experience... I've just watched some couples really hunker down, make it work, negotiate what the power balance will be. They can take turns. They can do all kinds of gymnastics. But it's clear that they've come to a decision between them, whereas other couples will spend less time 
talking, negotiating, clarifying what their respective goals are. And those will tend to suffer over time. Mm -hmm. And if you have, you know, the classic thing that we're seeing now is women becoming outperforming their husbands, out-educating them, mm -hmm. out-earning them for a generation of men that were not necessarily used to that or prepared for it and who are often unfairly ridiculed, teased, um, put down by their own peers. Hmm. So women have swept into every possible occupation in the work world. Men have not embraced in the same way all the new roles opening for them at home as caretakers and as fathers. And when you see women doing that and you talk about um, people staying, if you can't find a supportive spouse, stay single. Do people say to you, literally, I couldn't find somebody, so I stayed single? Uh, that's actually not my line. As you know, editors put in titles on that most is absolutely articles. True. My, yes. my actual line would be, what I've seen is that women, ambitious working women, have two choices, right? Whether they make them or whether they're made for them, the choices are stark. You either have a really supportive spouse or you end up at some point in your life or career opting to go it alone. Uh -huh. That's a default. It's a cause for a lot of the divorces we're seeing. I've just mm -hmm. written a book called Late Love. And what we're seeing today is a massive increase in the number both of divorces and marriages in the 50s and 60s, uh -huh. which is a sort of reaction mm -hmm. to some of these issues. If you've had a spouse that wasn't so supportive you wait generally until the children are raised and grown, and then your career is opening up and you make new choices. Mm -hmm. And two-thirds of these divorces, it's women walking out, mm. and very often it's because it's their time in life to fly, to discover new career horizons, and often to transition into new relationships mm. that will be uh, more supportive and mutually nurturing. I'm Kara Miller. This is Innovation Hub. I'm speaking with Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, the author of the Harvard Business Review piece, If You Can't Find a Spouse Who Supports Your Career, Stay Single. She's also author of the book, Seven Steps to Leading a Gender-Balanced Business. So if somebody's listening and they're like, well, this sounds really rough. I'm married. Um, I would like to be a supportive spouse. What does that mean? What does that actually take if a couple's like, we're just starting out. How do we do this? Okay, how do they do it? <laughs> okay, so how they do it is by starting the negotiations early, making really clear what is each couple's dream, what are their goals, how ambitious are they, how do they envision the future, who's going to do what, are we going to have children, how many children, who's going to take care of them. It's so much easier to have those discussions before you have them so that you at least understand what the assumptions and expectations of your partner are. You would be amazed to know how many couples only get into these conversations when they're in the thick of things. Right. And then you're stressed out, you're tired, and you're not usually sleeping enough. Right. And that's not a good time to be negotiating. <laughs> not a recipe for success. Not a recipe for success. The best recipe for success is negotiating from a position of love, happiness, and new relationship right. building. 
Do you think that people would be honest with themselves in those kinds of situations? Because it's easy to say, I will be like this in five years. It's a different thing when your career is humming along and you've got two kids and whatever to then have to make the negotiations that you thought five years ago you would make. But uh, now you're coming under a lot of pressure from your boss to do X, Y and Z. You know what I mean? And that's what's interesting, right? And that's what's evolving is in a lot of this stuff about gender roles changing is about power balances, right? And the power balances are shifting. And so those kinds of conversations are very different when they're happening between two people who have the same potential, the same job promotion opportunities, and the same salary coming in. It's not the same discussion that we used to have. And so the key for couples who are really, truly intentionally trying to make this work is they're pioneers. This is new. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to learn how to have these conversations and how to support each other. And it takes a lot of talking Mm -hmm. and a lot of leaning in from two partners who have a lot of love to share. That's the recipe for success. Love and a lot of talking. Uh, You talk about this a lot in the context of women who are sort of on the path to leadership, which is important in itself because those are the people who set maternity and paternity policies for, you know, hundreds or thousands of people in an organization, you know, and and they have all sorts of power in, in all sorts of different ways. But do you also feel like this is an issue that's tearing at couples or stressing people who are in middle-level positions, low-level positions uh, within organizations who are not necessarily on the career track that might land them in a corporate suite someday. Yes, because they are often still in very new power balances at home. Mm -hmm. No matter what your income level is, what about all these women-led households where there's single mothers at home earning 100% of the take-home pay, right? When you remember that 40% of American families are led by female bread earners, this is an issue that concerns everyone. And it will be a challenge for women as we get more power for men who aren't used to us having it How do you find men who will be willing to support you, applaud your success, or simply clean up the dishes and take care of the kids because you have another 12-hour shift starting in three hours? Those are the kind of conversations that are happening all over the country. Uh, Finally, I want to ask you about a sign that you see that things are getting better and a sign that uh, concerns you. Let's talk about first the sign that maybe that concerns you at the moment. Uh, A sign that concerns me is the, the increasing divorce rate among the less educated Divorce rates have been falling for 30 years among the educated, and they've been rising for that 30 years among the less educated. And I think it's in part because less educated men are losing jobs in a certain number of sectors that we know well. It's a big political issue. Mm -hmm. And the reaction is not to support your working wife. Mm -hmm. It's to get angry at her and resent that she gets a job more easily than you do. That's, Mm -hmm. That's worrying. Okay, so there's a kind of gender role inversion going on that's 
that's hard to deal with. Particularly yeah. in the lower income side of the scale and the okay. lower educated, yes. Okay. And what's a sign that you've seen recently that you feel like is hopeful looking forward? Well, there are two. I'd say the first one is 30 years of declining divorce rates among the educated. We have never seen so many well-balanced, uh, super happy, super equal couples ever in the history of humanity. We are designing a new form of marriage relationship and couplehood between two equals mm. on a massive scale that we've never seen. That's exciting, it's revolutionary, and it's transformational. We're also seeing that it never ends. Love is, life is getting longer and longer. People are gonna live into their hundreds, and it's never too late to find a super supportive partner. And I've seen and had the joy of talking to 60, 70, and 80-year-olds falling in love and discovering, sometimes for the very first time in their lives, what a supportive partner feels like. Hmm. And let me tell you, it feels pretty good. <laughs> Aviva Wittenberg-Cox is author of the book, Seven Steps to Leading a Gender-Balanced Business. She's also the author of the piece, If You Can't Find a Spouse Who Supports Your Career, Stay Single. We will link to it on our website. Aviva, thank you so much. My great pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this segment. We would love it if you could take a minute to leave a review on iTunes. It'll actually help more people find their way to the show. Think of it as spreading interesting ideas one review at a time. <laughs>